1: cut from the same cloth and how will Kevin Cash manage a one game playoff where will Joe Madden land after the Cubs fired him or essentially didn't give him a contract anyway and the Lightning they released their roster we have some new bolts on there to talk about what's been the difference in the Bucks, and especially Jameis Winston in the past three weeks we'll tell you what Bruce Arians had to say we've got all that and so much more in this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times along with Producer Steve Bursnick. Steve, I'm back from California. If I seem tired, it's because I am. <laughs> yeah, how was that red eye flight? Oh. Oh, it was delightful. I you know, I marvel at people that apparently do this on a regular or semi regular basis as business folks. God bless you all. I cannot be George Clooney and up in like in the movie up in the air. There's no way I could do any of that. But I know a lot of people travel as just a point of their jobs and things. I'm I'm one of these people that require. It's funny. I did radio for five years. I required no sleep, but I am so cranky if I don't sleep at all. And th- if there is one place I cannot sleep, it's on an airplane. I have tried um, when I, in my younger days I didn't. I was able to do so. And now that I'm old and creaky, I guess, or, or just uh, too big for the seats, um, I, I really have trouble sleeping. And so I know that uh, even though I'm tired, I might not off for ten minutes here or there. Uh, but basically, it means that I'm awake the whole time. So you know, it's like two weeks in a row now. I've gone about 36 hours without sleeping, um, but I did get a nap this afternoon. But yeah, it's it's a it's a long way. And 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 let me just say this too about because you know somebody was was kind of trolling me a little bit. Can you believe I get trolled on Twitter? Like it's what? It's a real there are yeah, trolls on real Twitter. Uh huh. And they they troll me, which is odd. But there's um, today I found out there are two fake Rick Stroud accounts. I so got to follow found, them like. Does that right? I gotta, I gotta find them. Does that mean that I'm that I'm something, somebody? If they got fake Rick Stroud accounts, somebody thinks you are. Um, yeah. So um, I haven't seen them pop. They have, they've been fairly inactive, thank God, for the last few weeks or months. But uh, but in any event, yeah. Uh, this guy was saying, oh, poor, you know, I'd written about a story on Sunday. If you guys have a chance to pick up the paper, or you can you download it on TampaBay.com. But I wrote a story about all the precautions and the things that the Bucks have gone to. They've really made this a science and they have their whole sports science, you know, um sort of department over there. And there's a lot of things they do for the athletes, as we call them, so that they minimize the effects of you know, of airline travel. I mean it it you know, there's a lot of things um that, you know, from pressurization to different different things that affect you being being in one position all the time, you know, where the you know the blood sort of pulls up around the joints, the hips and the knees and such, and so they go to a lot of trouble with compression sleeves and wear clothing and you know blue light um, glasses so that you know, you know the melatonin's not affected in your mind if you're watching a movie and you still get sleepy and just a whole bunch of neat stuff that you can read about. But and, and you know we know they all you know they travel on uh, you know bigger planes for the most part, not always, but certainly when they go to when they go to Europe or England they're going to have um, you know, Virgin Atlantic plane that has 45 first-class, you know, sort of seats that that kind of spread out all the way down to a supine position like a like a bed. Um, so that will certainly help them as they fly over there. So their travel is not my travel. But you're still crossing time zones. You know, you're still having to maintain, you know, to be in the air that long. And, um, you know, good on them for going out there against the Rams. And they went out Friday night and, you know, they, they obviously had – all day Saturday, and then and then on Sunday, you didn't see any jet lag, any hangover. They started fast. They looked like they were fresh. Uh, didn't seem like the travel bothered them. And and sometimes they do. You know, they've been a good road team so far this year. So maybe maybe as we talked about for the podcast, this stretch won't hurt them. Um, but it's really hard. It's hard on your body to you know to to take. And and the players left right after the game. You know, not not much later than I did or earlier than I did. I mean, they they start their clock. You know, as soon as the clock hits zero. Those players have to be showered and on the bus one hour after the clock is is off so they can go to the airport and they take off right away. Um, so, But they probably got home about 2 o'clock in the morning or 3. Um, I didn't get home until about 11, <laughs> so <laughs> there's a difference. But um, I had my nice little layover in, in Washington, D.C., of all places, where we sat on a tarmac for an hour, and my flight was delayed by two hours, and it was lovely. Um, but anyway, enough of me. Nobody cares what I go through. But the, the guy was trolling me saying – you know, all boo-hoo on these players. And look, nobody's, I mean, you know, apples to apples, what an NFL team has to do this besides the Raiders? You know, I think you have to look at, you know, we're not talking about, you know, yes, they get paid a lot of money and they're pampered and all these things and they have, you know, six-star hotels. And so they make it as easy as possible. I get that. But from a competitive advantage or disadvantage in this case, I think it's real. I think, I think you know, the, the NFL has minted as much. They said that they would like to have that schedule back. Um, and I don't think it's a, an accident that, you know, no one really paid attention that the Bucs were going to be away from Raymond James for seven straight weeks or that the Oakland Raiders, cause they don't care. The Raiders are leaving Las Vegas and the Bucs haven't been relevant in 12 years. So, you know, um, if this were the Patriots, do you think somebody might've raised the red flag before the schedule came out? Uh, I think so. And, you know, we'll see. I mean, again, they're, they're two and zero on the road, which is remarkable they go off to a great start doing that, and if they can, can, can keep this up, then they'll be fine. But I'm just here to tell you, um, and I, I thought, and I said this before, I thought the Rams game was going to be the hardest of all of them. The other hard game, I think, is Seattle because it comes at the end of all this, and that's an awful long way to go. But so much for the Bucks. They did well. We're going to start off talking about um, the baseball and the Tampa Bay Rays, of course, playing the Oakland A's in the uh, one-game wild-card playoff to see who earns the right to go to the top seed in the American League, and that's of course the Houston Astros, who are, boy, on paper, darn near uh unbeatable. I think they, they certainly are the favorite, I think, to win the American league. I think they're the best team you, in baseball. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I mean, you
0: know, the Dodgers and Yankees have been very good and and but I I just think the Astros have the most complete team.
1: Mm-hmm. But do you like and the one game? do you like pitching.
0: the one game wild card?
1: I kind of do. It's not – you know, it's funny because it's not really baseball. Here's what I like about it. It it obviously made for an exciting finish to the Rays in the A season, okay, and for that matter, the Cleveland Indians as well. Without that, those teams aren't going to catch necessarily the division winner. Certainly the Rays weren't going to catch the Yankees. And so, you know, what do you have? What do you have to to sort of, you know, make it worth a while? Uh, If you're not playing spoiler, you're just playing at the string – this certainly made for you know mm-hmm. those teams to be to be competing against each other right to the end, um, as Lovey Smith used to say, right until. So I think that's good for baseball. I think it's good for the fan base. But do you
0: like a one-game wild card? I mean, well, I baseball's mean, it's, baseball's it's not, about a 162-game schedule, and it's nothing's supposed to be decided in one game in
1: baseball. I understand, and so that's what's weird about it. But you know, like that's true of, of professional sports, but. In every other level, baseball is a one-game sport. I mean, when you get into these tournaments and things, you might have double elimination, which means you can lose two games before you're out. But if you lose one, you're going to have to battle back, like you know, play five mm-hmm. games in four days or something. So, I mean, I'm I'm used to this because that was my life, you know, playing in college, playing you know, playing all those tournaments and American Legion ball and all that stuff. But I, I would grant you that it's it's unwieldy for a major, major league team to say hey, we're going to determine who's the best team with this one game. Because we know that any one game is a distortion, right? It's a liar for the most part. You have, to, you have to play a series. You have to play a number of games to kind of determine who's the best. But I think it does add something that baseball lacks. And here's where I think it's good. There is sort of a sameness, sort of a marathon-type approach that baseball has in addition to the slow pace of the game Because there are so many games, no one gets too worked up about any one loss or win. What's great about it is every single pitch now, every single call by the umpire, every swing suddenly has huge importance in a one-game playoff. You know, like, it it ramps up the intensity in my mind. And I think that's good for fans. I think it's good for the players because everybody's dialed in. No one's giving away an at-bat. No one's giving away an out and you know and because it's just one and done you can throw everything at you know the kitchen sink at each other you can throw haymakers you can stand toe to toe and just you know have at it and i think that's cool i like that element of it you know i think it it, now do i want to see a world series champion crown that way no i really don't i don't think that's the fair way to do it after 162 games but for what it serves, giving hope to other teams, getting teams that you know that finish strong, they have good records, and maybe they didn't win their division, but they they're deserving. I kind of like it. I kind of like it. But the strategy is different. You got to admit that, right? Oh, it's definitely, and you know, one of the things
0: um, that in, always intrigues me with these is how do you stack your roster for one game? Mm. Because. By I believe Wednesday at at one o'clock Eastern, they have to set their playoff roster or their. It's just twenty five man now. Twenty five man been playing with
1: forty for but a it, while, right? But it's just for
0: one game, and you get to reset yeah. it if you win it and go to the American League Division Series. So, okay. Do you carry three catchers? Hmm. You know, do you want in case if if you know Darno? You don't necessarily pinch it for very often, but if if you have it's Zanino in the run game, for him do you? Oh, pitch sure. run oh yeah, for you him could him. do that. Yeah. Sure. Does Johnny Davis yeah. make
1: the roster? Because I don't think in a series he would make the roster. No, but you know what? He's playing for me tomorrow if I'm the Rays, if mm-hmm. I'm Kevin Cash. Yeah. Because what if I get into what I hope is a low scoring game? At least, at least from the a, from the A's standpoint, I hope mm-hmm. they don't score a lot of runs. And and I know that I don't typically score a ton of runs. So if I'm in a one-run or two-run ball game, and I need a guy to score from second and it's G-Man Choi out there or it's, you know, mm-hmm. just anybody, but, I mean, maybe he's on third and a sack fly scores him. Yeah, man, give me that dude that can help manufacture me maybe what the key run is going to be in the game. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think he does make the roster because you don't need as
0: many pitchers. I mean, you're right. going to stack yourself nine or ten pitchers probably, maybe even 11, but you don't need your 13 that you may carry during the season. So it allows no. you some extra bench players, where because I don't think they trust Johnny Davis to to hit or field very much if they don't ha- if they don't right. have to. But boy, they right. like his speed, you know. So, but, but then you, you might know, in a division carry series a pinch when you have to carry more, something. you know, when you need more pitchers in a division series or any series, you don't you're not going to carry the guy who's only there for speed. Hmm. So it's going to be interesting. I mean, you know, we know Charlie Morton starting. The other interesting thing is we don't know who Oakland is starting. Is it going to be Mike Fires, who's a, a hard-throwing right-hander, or is it going to be Sean Manaya a crafty left-hander? Both are. I'm going to tell you good. why.
1: It's going to be Manaya and there's a couple reasons why. One, I think that the Rays are much better against right-handers as a hitting club, in my opinion, anyway. Um, Kiermaier becomes a factor or more of a factor, that sort of thing, and and then two, um, you know, Manaya Min- and he throws and you talked about this for the podcast he's not a hard thrower and and the Rays seem to sort of chew up guys that have hard stuff not so much against the guys that are you know kind of crafty right and I believe Mike Fires, though the hard thrower
0: really took it to the Rays the last time they played he did he did you know so you know I
1: mean it's, it's a good good decision for Oakland
0: to have you know which one do we pick
1: I guess it comes down to whoever they think is going to do the best job. Right. I mean, the, the Rays don't have that problem because yeah. Charlie Morton is by far their best pitcher. He's pitched mm-hmm. in game sevens of the Astros. I mean, you, you definitely want him on the mound. The question, though, then becomes, in addition to who you're keeping on your roster as far as, you know, a, a, you know like a Davis to pinch run or whatever, okay, how do you manage your pitching? Let's say mm-hmm. that you get a great outing from Charlie Morton, and it's a 2-1 to game. Okay, but he can only go into the sixth. Maybe he's got 110 pitches. You're starting to see him walk a guy or two, and you think, all right, you know, he's given us almost six solid, five and two-thirds, what have you. Okay, but it's a close game. Are you going to your middle guys that maybe aren't that great, or do you say, you know what, I can't even get to Houston if I don't win this game. I'm going out there with Tyler Glass now and seeing if he can give me three innings and get me to the ninth.
0: I think I want Glasnow coming in after Morton. Me for, too. For several reasons. Me too. One, uh, you know, it's your second best pitcher on the staff, mm-hmm. but it's mm-hmm. also going from you know, I mean, breaking Blake, ball guy. But, but yeah, you're going to a guy who can throw even harder than Blake. Yeah. And, right. And you know, right, right now Glasnow may have the best stuff of anyone on the team. It's sick. You know the way yeah, he's pitching sick. right now. Uh, you know, sick. Morton's been the best pitcher all year, but Glasnow's stuff right, right now. Um, oh, I, you know, I That's think great. you know. Yeah, you got a tight game. I want Glass now following Blake, and then you got your choice of your pen after that. Oh no,
1: you know if you look, you know what's the worst case scenario? Um, if you win the game and you've used up all your, you know, you've got Glass now can't go, and and obviously Charlie can't go. Oh, boo-hoo. You know, we'll figure it out once we get to Houston. You know why? Because we're in freaking Houston. We're happy. That's the whole goal. Mm-hmm. You know, try to steal a game. I mean, you you've made a whole season of using you know, sometimes seven, eight pitchers in a single ball game, well, you just spackle it together because you don't have what Houston mm-hmm. has. You'd love to have what they have. They got four A-plus starters that can go mm-hmm. drive you in the ninth inning if some, on, some, on some occasions, and, and you just don't have that anyway. So, look, I'm not, I'm not going to be upset if, uh, you know, if I'm a Rays fan and I watch them, you know, empty the barrel trying to beat the Oakland A's. I mean, that's mm-hmm. what they need to do. Absolutely. And look, you got Blake Snell starting game 1 of the DS at this point. Now, that doesn't suck, you know. Right? I mean, he hasn't pitched as well as
0: you'd like, but he's still a, a very good option for you. You still got Yarborough and Chirinos unless they pitch on Wednesday. Um, right. You've, you've got enough pitchers to get you through. Yeah. I mean, the, no, the good I, thing I, the good thing about playoff baseball is that you never play more than 2 days in a row. It's always, you know, 2 days, day off, 2 days so travel yeah. yeah so you don't need as many starting pitchers per se you it, need to get or more three, rest for yeah. your bullpen all that stuff so you know your A bullpen can be used more often than compared to the regular season when you're playing you know yeah. seven games which may be seven straight days
1: there's a couple things that matter when you're playing a one game the first one is and it's not unlike say the hockey playoffs I think is that especially when you're on the road you got to score first you got to score early and often i mean you have to sort of take the fight to them now you know how do you do that? Well, you know, good at bats help. You got to, you know, hope that you put, you know, put together some big hits early on. But also, and the Rays have been horrible at this. You you might want to might want to move some base runners. You might want to be aggressive and try to try to get guys in motion. You know, try to steal some bases. Try to try to manufacture a run early, knowing that Charlie Morton's not going to going to be an easy guy to get. You know, to uh, to get to. And I, you know, that's that's going to be a key to me. Like, you know, if somehow the A's jump out. And maybe Morton it doesn't, isn't quite as sharp as he was, say, his last outing, and he gives up more than a couple runs in the first five. Um, it's going to be awfully tough coming back with the crowd into it with, um, you know, without any momentum. I mean, you really do need to kind of create your own momentum a little bit. Not that the Rays haven't come back and, and they played the last month in a do-or-die situation, and, and we've seen all the walk-offs, and even when they trailed by a run or so in the ninth inning, they managed to, to do it. They don't have the last at bat, though. Remember that. You know, they, they're going to have to get the last three outs uh, and celebrate on defense before they can win. So, um, this is not, you're not playing at home, and that's the advantage the A's have. So, take it to them early, um, to me, is, is going to be the keys. You're going to have to get runners on, you're going to have to get them over, and you're going to have to get them in.
0: Yeah, although, you know, one of the things that, that has stopped a lot of Ray's momentum this season is, is bad base running. I know, you know and so that's you, you got to pick your spots. You, you got to pick yeah. your spots. I mean I, I think yeah. You know, it probably needs to be called more from the bench, not a player taking it into their own hands at that point, which is where you've seen yeah. some over aggressive base running at times, especially when it comes to Tommy Pham. It's, yeah, he's going to say a little yeah, over Yeah, we're talking yeah. about you. Yeah, I yeah. mean, you know, and, and I, I I you don't want to take the aggressiveness away from him per se, but you, can't, only got you, you can't get a, you know, I mean, look if you if you try to steal a base and you just happen to get thrown out because a catcher made a heck of a throw, great that mean right. uh, that happens, but it's the it's the mental mistakes on the base pass that you can't have in a they've been a play. horrible
1: yeah, they've been a horrible base running team and and every like I said, every pitch is it matters. every out certainly matters. again, you're the visiting team, so they're going to get the last three outs to try to beat you. You cannot make any mistakes out there running the bases in, this, in a game like this. So everything is going to be magnified, misplays, well, And the other part is, look, 10, 10
0: of the raised 39 players have been in the postseason before, meaning 29 have not. Yeah. Now, I don't know how many of those are going to make the, you know, the, the one-game roster, but you know, those mental mistakes can get amplified when it's a player who's playing in his first playoff game. You know that They spotlight can. can and sh- yet, that you spotlight, know, the crowd. I mean, they've sold over 45,000 tickets already out there.
1: Yeah, which is rare. Yeah, and and I don't get it. you know what I don't get as much I don't get as much about that you know experience thing, you know what I mean? Like I and maybe baseball is different. I mean, I like the guy on the mound. Certainly, I like the fact that he's accomplished what he's accomplished. Mm-hmm. I think that's a huge edge for him. More because he knows who he is and he's he can quiet himself in big moments. I, I don't know how that plays with a position player per se. Like, well, I think if you're good, you're good. I think sometimes. We overdo the experience angle and say, "Well, they've got you know all this experience." You know what? Sometimes ignorance is bliss. I, I don't Sometimes think, yeah. you don't. You don't know what it is.
0: Sure, and, and maybe it's. And we we talked. You know, we started talking about how this is a different scenario than baseball. I mean, one of the things about baseball is. is is one game doesn't matter, and it doesn't matter right. how how heartbreaking this loss was tonight. Tomorrow's a new you day. Gotta go you get can, them you tomorrow. The that's page. Right. You yeah. don't have that in this case, so. How do players and and it, some of this is experience, but and sometimes that bliss can be good too. But how do they react? Do, you the start gripping mm-hmm. that bat a little tighter when you're up at the oh, plate, sure. or yeah. second guessing yourself on a throw or a, a play. You know, I mean, that's what you yeah. you know because you know that even if we lose this game, there's not tomorrow. You know, we're you're well, so used to the season that you know, I, and I've been around many teams, and the Rays have done this. You you see a loss. There was the one game in Toronto where they blew the what was it, 8-1 to one lead and lost in Toronto, something like that. And mm-hmm. you sat there and went, oh, this is this is where that's going to fall apart. And they got down big the next day and still came back and won that game. And it was – you know, it's one of those – in baseball you always have that it's only one game out of 162. It's not even 1% of your season. Right. One game and, doesn't and even matter. Though, but now one game it, does.
1: And, and because of that, even though you know every pitch and every, every out is precious and it's one game – I think for the players that that just have the confidence to not make it bigger than it is, mm-hmm. it's still just a baseball game. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like you still have to just beat the guy that's got the ball on the mound. Like if you try to make it bigger than it is, then you're gonna fail for sure. Um, you still just gotta play baseball. Just play your game. You, you know, you the fact that you've done it for 162 games, you should know who you are in this league. And you know, you you can't put. You gotta try to find a way to relax. And, and you know, go to your happy place, go to your – find your beach. Find your beach, man, <laughs> as Gruden would say. Have a corona in the dugout. I don't know, whatever it takes. <laughs> Have some lime. But uh, but you, you really do need to relax because there's one sport, you know, it's funny. Um, there is – other than on defense, but there is virtually no sport where you're not rewarded forever. Every sport you can always play harder than the other guy, okay? You know, I can run down every tennis ball. I can – pursue on defense you know everybody can run to the ball i can hustle uh various sports but in baseball as joe mann used to say you got to try less i mean you really you know gripping the bat i'm here to tell you does nothing but create sawdust in your hands It, it does not help you hit a ball it's just the opposite like you have to trick yourself into relaxing and so it's the one sport that in many instances you know even if you're on the mound and you're like man I am going to throw this ball so hard. This means so much to me. And watch me try to hit hit a hundred on this. And you have no command. You have no idea where the ball is going. Um, and so it, you really just have to find a way. You know, the trick is finding a way to stay within yourself and just relaxing in those moments and recognizing that it's still a baseball game. You know, so it's a real tricky situation. I like it. Again, I think it's good they've expanded the playoffs. I think it's you know brought a lot of excitement to, to cities. Uh, every year that may have already known they weren't going to catch the division winners but but it is different i'll grant you that like the, everything you can you do not want to fall way behind in these games uh even though we've seen the race come back time and time and time again down the stretch you, you don't want to do it so yeah all hands on deck and uh and stack your roster so that you can create some runs Speaking of baseball, of course, uh, some big firings around Major League Baseball, starting with uh, former Rays manager Joe Madden out in Chicago. Now, he didn't have a contract. This was not breaking news, even though they kind of spun it out there like it was. I think Joe recognized when they didn't offer him a deal that this well could be his last year. And, of course, when the Cubs were circling the drain and weren't going to make the postseason, it became even more so obvious. But now I guess there's a, you know a place that, you weren't sure was going to be available to Joe. That makes a lot of sense. An organization he basically grew up in that has an opening. Yeah, the Angels let go Brad Ausmus after just one
0: season out there. Now it was a disappointing season. They, I mean, I don't, you know, don't think anyone thought they were going to catch the Astros, but they thought they'd be better than they were. So Artie Moreno loves Joe Madden
1: supposedly. So uh, I think there's a good shot that that's where he ends up. And we're about to see how much he loves them in terms of dollars and cents. That's for sure. I mean, Madden was making. Five million with the Cubs. I don't know if he's going to get that at this stage of his career, going someplace else. But um, you know, I speculated that maybe uh, if Philadelphia, you know, had an opening, which they don't, as we po- at least as we do this podcast, that might be a location. Of course, from Pennsylvania, Clint Hurdle got fired yeah, in Pittsburgh. In Pittsburgh. Explain to me how this happens, by the way. And I'm not like, you know, I'm not banging the drum for Clint Hurdle because I think he's done a good job at times. And you know, obviously this year they didn't win a lot of games, but. How do you begin to blame the manager, right, when you trade, make the deal they made for the Tampa Bay Rays for Chris Archer? Like Well, how do so you blame GM... Joe Madden when Theo Epstein didn't really stack the pitching staff in Chicago very well? Yeah, I can't. I can't. And I think I think Theo is more responsible than Madden was. I mean, you know, for the longest time they didn't have a closer then when Kimball came, he he wasn't effective. Um, The starting pitching was was fractured other than John Lester for the most part, maybe Hendricks, and then eventually, um, you know, they got it together sort of late in the year a little bit. But I I, I blame Theo as much as I would anybody else. I think with Clint Hurdle, I think it's probably a couple things. One, it's been a disappointing few
0: seasons for them. That's true. Um, But two, you come out of the All-Star break and lose 24 of your first 28 games. Mm. You know, when you were – you were competing for the division because I mean you're in a weak NL Central division, mm-hmm. you know. So pretty much all the teams at the All Star break still had a shot, and then you come out and go four and twenty four out of the break, and you're toast. Yeah, that was rough. Um, and I can tell you, a lot of teams think he's a pretty dirty manager too. So, oh you know, yeah, Joe Madden had oh. issues with him. The Reds have had issues with him. Cincinnati the Cardinals did, have yeah. had issues with Clint Hurdle mm-hmm. and the way their pitching staff and a little mm-hmm. beanball and some other things
1: like that. So. I don't think there's a lot of people in baseball sad to see him out there. Right, and I think, too, that they got to take a gauge as to whether his message is actually being received mm-hmm. or even followed at this point, you know, when a guy's around. And some that might have been, you know, the, the, what you saw with the Cubs, though, I thought was interesting because you saw a lot of, over the weekend, a lot of real embraces, you know, and, and some comments by Anthony Rizzo and others saying how much Madden meant to their careers. Because I think Joe – when Joe's at his best, I think is with a young developing club, mm-hmm. you know, one that's not totally veteran laden, that's set in their ways. But you know, him him getting guys to relax, him him getting guys to enjoy, you know, don't let the don't let the process exceed the pleasure, right? That is so key, and I've said this many times that if I if I had a manager that would you know help me do that, besides my father when he managed me, um, I'd have been a lot more successful because I was one of these guys that kept pr- putting pressure on themselves. And I think what you know Madden's genius is that he he brings out the belief that's in all these guys that they can play at this level and then they go out and prove it to themselves. Um, and you know that that was a young, talented ball club that developed, uh, had the camaraderie, had the right message, had the right leader, and believed in themselves and won a World Series and then made the playoffs every year, except this one. And so I mean, I think he was perfect. and you can see sort of what he meant to some of those young guys that have come up now. And you know, basically made their careers, and, and and he put a ring on their fingers in Chicago. I can't wait to see how the Cubs do uh, with a new manager. You know, there's a lot of speculation out there. A lot of names are sort of surfacing, at least in the newspapers. I saw Joe Girardi was one. Of course, he used to he used to be he used to play for the Cubs. Correct. Uh, yes, he I believe a, he did. Yeah. He was a catcher. Yes, he there, was. Yeah. Yes, so yes. But former Yankees manager, I could see. I could see that phone ringing. You know, I could see people calling him. So it'll be interesting, but it would not surprise me if, uh, you know, if the Cubs become less relevant. And the funny thing is, and David Hall wrote this in the Chicago Tribune, it's so true, in Chicago more than any other place, they celebrate they celebrate the managers or the coaches. Like, it's so weird. It's like they had their superstars, right? Nobody's bigger than Michael Jordan ever, okay? Dip Buckus, um, you know, Brian Erlocker. I mean, obviously the '86 Bears are beloved. A lot of players on that team, certainly Walter Payton, who is passed. Um, but you know, you got a lot of guys in and around Chicago that are still still revered because they were part of that World Championship team and things like that. But in Chicago, it's it's you know Mike Ditka. Who's bigger than Ditka? You know, mm-hmm. you know how many hard you know the whole the you know the whole Bears fan thing on SNL. Um, you know, who's bigger than Phil Jackson, what a colorful personality, you know, they love Phil Jackson. I mean, he brought you know, put all those rings on their fingers and he was, you know, the Zen master and, and, you know, he had this sort of aura to him and, and, you know, there's not been a better, they hated Doug Collins. So there's not been a better basketball coach for the bulls. even know, though I thought, you know, a lot of guys have been done well up there, but they, they love Phil Jackson. And I think the same is going to be true. I really do, of Joe Madden. I think he will be beloved in Chicago because he put rings on their fingers. First one in 108 years. Yeah.
0: I mean, how, how can you that? not
1: be beloved? Right. And, and he was a personality. You know, he was a guy mm-hmm. that, you know, was engaging and, um, you know, funny and always great with the media. And, and he, was, he was not just a coach. He was an actual personality. But I do think there's, at times in whatever organization, sort of a Madden fatigue syndrome, you know, where – Uh, It's nice when he comes in and he's making it about himself and he's at that point He's deflecting from the young kids who are struggling But then when they get really really good now He's doing the same thing and everybody's saying oh look at Joe hog in the spotlight, you know So same guy just different parts of his Hiring for your small business if you're not looking
0: for professionals on LinkedIn you're looking in the wrong place That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank
1: you know, a sense that maybe they're tuning him out and that's why they're not playing well. Um, but, yeah, Joe, Joe will be just fine. Joe's going to end up someplace good and get paid plenty of money to do it for sure. He has his pick of jobs. I mean, I can't imagine an open job in baseball that wouldn't hire him if he wanted to go there. I don't either. I don't either. Which is odd that you know that the Cubs are the ones get. It kind of reminds me of you know the Bucks fired Tony Dungy and everybody wanted Dungy, and then they fired John Gruden and then everybody wanted John Gruden. So <laughs> you're the you're the team firing the coaches that everybody wants. You know, but just remember back five years ago when the
0: Cubs hired Joe Madden, the Rays hired Kevin Cash. Who would have mm-hmm. thought it was Cash that made it longer?
1: Yeah, how about that? But Cash still doesn't have a World Championship. No, so. <laughs> but you know. Cash uh, or as many playoff appearances.
0: No, but Cash has also taken a team that's gotten better every year he's been there, and now got to 96 wins and has a shot in the playoffs. I mean, yeah, and, no, look, and, and Kevin's Kevin's win, done he a could good win job. manager of the year. No, I, uh, Kevin Cash has done a tremendous job. He might win manager yeah. of the year this year, but I mean, just he, think five years could. ago, who would have thought that when everyone went, who were the Rays hiring? Yeah.
1: Kevin who. Yeah, no. I look, there was yeah, if you were taking bets on, you know, when he was going to be, you know, when he was going to be dismissed, it wouldn't have been this long. Um, you know, you you would if you had him for 5 years, you won the prize. Um but let's not let's, let's I think what he's done is remarkable given the circumstances. I think mm-hmm. the Rays are remarkable and you know, um we've written about this and we started the show saying what are the similarities? The Rays and the A's are the same organization, really. Mm-hmm. And it for for as much as the Rays sort of borrowed you know, money ball and the concepts of the analytics and what are the best bargains in baseball that we can hire because we don't have the payroll? Who are the guys that are undervalued as players that we can afford uh, or who are coming off of injuries that we can take chances on uh, for lower contracts and this sort of thing? It's what the A's did for years, and it's no surprise really to anybody or shouldn't be in baseball that these two teams that are outspent four, five, six to one um, have consistently, you know, won this many games for so long, uh, and they managed to keep pace, you know, in terms of wins and losses with teams like the Yankees and the Red Sox and such. Um, and here they are facing each other. I mean, they are in many ways mirror images of one another, and a lot of their, uh, a good number of their players have played for both organizations, and Mark Topkin wrote about that, that today mm-hmm. in the Tampa Bay Times, Joey Wendell being one that came over from the A's, and he said, you know, every year – um, they would sit us down, and they would say, you know what? No one's going to expect us to do anything. we got a good ball club. We're going to surprise people, and we're going to win a lot of games. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of in the Rays' philosophy. And the other thing that they've done very
0: well, both teams have, is they've rebuilt themselves without tanking. Yes. I mean, the yes. A's have done this several times under Billy Bean, where they've kind of even changed a little bit of the philosophy and some of the sabermetrics and things that they're doing, but they've never gone in the tank. And the Rays did right. the same thing. I mean, we thought they were two years ago when they started the season with all the trades they made, but they yeah. didn't. And they, you know, they used trades to stock their farm system and build it back up. But they never, they never went in the tank. They never sat there and said, "We're doing what the Tigers are doing this year, and what the Cubs did a few years ago, and the Astros, and you know, you name the teams that have done that." They've been able to rebuild on the fly and adjust their strategies on the fly. They're very and they were if- very nimble that way.
1: Yeah, and like the Rays, I mean, they haven't been afraid. Players they knew they couldn't afford to, you know, to deal away and um, or not, you know, to choose not to keep. But I mean, guys, guys like Josh Donaldson, who you know was a very productive player for them, and then, you know, he goes to Toronto in the first year he's there, he wins the American League Most Valuable Player award. So, you know, they they will move guys that they know they can't keep. Um, certainly, the Rays have made a habit of that. When you know, when David Price is going to be a free agent, it's like we can't afford you. Um, you know, they've they've traded. Um, you know iconic players before, like like an, even in Evan and goria just to dump the salary or whatever, you know, get guys back, whatever they can do for prospects. We've seen that time and time again. So the A's have done that as well. Um, so it's cool that you know it's it's a little unfortunate that they have to play each other because I think it'd be neat to see them both. You know, try to take down a, a big payroll team. That's sort of the sort of the fun of it. But what they've accomplished the two of the organizations and the similarities between them are not an accident. And it's really intriguing um to watch them go at it and that's why i think it's going to be uh it's going to be kind of cool for either really for either team i mean i know you know obviously the rays fans want their team to win um but don't discount whoever comes out of this series as doing pretty well um you know especially in a five game series against against a team like houston well i agree with you steve they're the best team in baseball in my opinion and they're going to throw you know a-pitcher after A-pitcher after you, you know, every single night, starting with Justin Verlander. But uh, this is what both these franchises have done is go up against the heavyweights and beat them. Um, so whoever, you know, whoever is waiting for Houston, um, I think I would still give them a chance in a short series to maybe maybe make some noise. So mm-hmm. that'll be exciting. We're just, uh, what, one day away from yes. uh, Rays and A's. Well, who do you got tonight? Uh, you got the Brewers at the Nationals, the National League wild cards tonight. <sighs> Yeah, you know, I don't know. It's, it? I kind of like the Nationals. I, I thought they were going to be out of it for a while. You know, Davey Martinez was struggling with that ball club. I think they kind of found themselves at the right time. And I think the Brewers have sort of had, you know, stumbled at times uh, along the way. And I, I just feel good about where the game is at. But I don't I don't really – I don't have a strong feeling about either team, to be honest with you. I know, you know – both of them earned their way here and and uh had good years and you know played in in tough divisions so uh, i don't know who do you got who you got in that one i tend to like the nationals too but the brewers have been so hot of late even after
0: losing mm-hmm. kristen Yellich. they've been yeah, on a I mean, roll that's they've been on a roll place i guy. mean they had a yeah. shot to catch the cardinals and no one thought that could have happened true um, it came down to the last day for the cardinals to win the central and they surely not the cubs out of it completely yeah exactly so i you know i I tend to like the nationals but man the brewers the brewers are
1: playing so well of late yeah that'll be i I like the wild card i do like it i think um you know i would like to see them not not i'd like to see them make this if they could maybe play less games in the regular season and make this series a, a best of five yep um that would be the most fair thing i think but but I'm okay. I mean, I'm okay with the one-game playoff. It would have gotten really weird if they had a play-in to get the play-in. Um, That's happened before. I mean, it would have been really crazy if the Indians had tied the Rays and the A's. Oh, God.
0: In a three-game play-in for two spots. It's, it's bizarre the, the, the way the formula works and all that. So,
1: Yeah, it would have been difficult. Did you see the baseball Lightning...
0: announced how long Sorry. games went this year? All these uh, trying to shave time off the games increased by almost five minutes a game
1: five minutes the average game is three
0: hours five minutes and 35 seconds a year ago it was three hours and 44 seconds
1: and they sped it up right this was the whole idea to speed up baseball
0: and they actually slowed it down well it it ended up being slower this year by about five minutes from last year it's only up uh 20 some seconds from 17 because last Mm. year it did reduce but i think i saw somewhere where it's up like 26 minutes since like
1: 2004 or something like that that's crazy that's crazy. Yeah, it's way too long. I mean, the but the approaches are different. You know, um, guys strike out a lot more. I, mean, I don't know what to tell you. It's the, just the, it's good, thing, the good thing. The good thing next B-S1. year
0: is there's no more 40 man rosters in September. I think you go up to 28 man next year.
1: That'd be interesting to know. Like, how much slower do the games get when they go to 40 man? Yeah.
0: And it's going to be interesting too because next year they'll have the rule where a uh, pitcher has to face three batters or end an inning before you can take him out. So you can't bring a pitcher, a lefty, in just to face a lefty, and then he comes out. He faces one batter and comes out. Once a pitcher comes in, they have to face three batters unless it ends an inning. Then you can make the switch.
1: Yep, that's going to be a good rule. Steve, you mentioned the Lightning have released their roster. Tell me who the newest Bolts are. Well, one of them's an old Bolt. Uh, Luke Wikowski did make
0: the team, listed as a defenseman, but he's played a lot of forward. Um, throughout training camp, and with Cedric Paquette hurt and most likely going to miss the opener, if not some more time. Um, they haven't really revealed what he has, but he was hurt in the final preseason game, took a hit. Uh, he didn't see coming uh, as the puck was approaching him. So, Wachowski's probably going to be on that fourth line with with Pat Maroon, and uh, so that adds some, some grit. Pat Maroon and, and Luke Wachowski are two guys you don't want to mess with. I mean, if the Lightning mm-hmm. thought over the last few seasons that they needed to add more tough guy, muscle, and mm-hmm. not not necessarily fights per se, but guys that can sit there and say uh, Kucherov's off limits, don't mm-hmm. even think about it, or Stamkos mm-hmm. or whoever. Um, you added witkowski on this roster, and now Pat Maroon as well. Uh, you've got two guys like that that aren't gonna aren't gonna take that for them. Um, Carter Verhage makes the roster. He led the American Hockey League in scoring last year for Syracuse, uh, mm. so he gets his shot at the roster. And Jamel Smith makes the roster, who uh, last year played, I believe, with Boston and Dallas. He's got 80 games of NHL experience. Really fast guy. Uh, we'll play on the fourth line. And uh, so the guys who didn't make it that were sent down, Danik Martel cleared waivers. He's going to Syracuse. Alex Volkov has been sent to Syracuse, and Luke Shen has now been put on waivers. And if he clears clears them, he'll go to Syracuse as well. Luke Shen was a defenseman they signed from Vancouver. And my guess is, had Shattenkirk been available earlier, they maybe don't sign Luke Shen. I mean, they signed Shen initially early in the offseason as kind of a seventh defenseman for the team. And then Shattenkirk became available just a few weeks ago. So then, you know, you go, hey, we really like Shattenkirk, so we want to bring him in. At that point, Luke Shen kind of became kind of the odd man out, especially with Witkowski. And if you've seen Witkowski play in the preseason – if you remember him playing a few years ago, he looks completely different. he is thinner he is faster he's really worked on his skating um, mm. he looks like a different player he's not I mean he's still tough in, in, in that but he looks completely different I mean he's changed his his game and his workout regimen and his diet and everything else over the last few seasons and he looks completely different he's not the same Luke Wachowski, if you remember a couple years ago.
1: So the Lightning open their season on Thursday against the uh, Florida Stinking Panthers. I, this is my favorite time of year. I mean, you have the convergence of three major sports, uh, you know, of course, Major League Baseball getting into the postseason now. We're a month into the NFL season. And then, of course, the start of the NHL. I mean, this is, uh, you know, this is really one of the best times of the year, in my opinion, uh, for college sports. Football college football is right football here, is too. Is right here. And we can talk a little bit about that quickly before we get to the Buccaneers here in a minute. Look, I'm I'm on the road. I don't get to see all these games. I I did see, you know, it was, it was a bunch of stinker games. Quite frankly, I mean, game day was at Nebraska to see Ohio State just destroy Nebraska. Um, so that that really wasn't that interesting. And I thought the the most you know the most interesting game was North Carolina, really had Clemson on the ropes, and Mac Brown goes for two at home, which I still think was probably the right call. I didn't like the play. Um, but they managed to, uh, you know, to escape North Carolina. Clemson wins probably cost or has cost them uh, some spots, I would think, in in the polls. Yeah, Alabama but, passed them in uh, the polls. Yeah, so, I mean, outside of that, you know, there wasn't a ton of games. Northwestern kind of played a tough game against Wisconsin. They finally prevailed. There wasn't a ton of games that I was that interested in. However, when I saw the score of USF getting thrashed by Southern Methodists, so first of all, I wasn't surprised SMU is a great, you know, a great team. I think they're really good. They they took TCU and um, they can score and all that. But my first thought was this has got to be really circling the, the wagon. The buzzer's got to be circling around Charlie Strong right now because, you know, you, you compound it with what how they finished last year, uh, the fact that he made these changes on his coaching steps, particularly with Kerwin Bell, it's just not working, right? He's, he's used both quarterbacks. He's exhausted that. And this team is not responding. And it's one thing to go to lose to Wisconsin, you know, which is a, at least a, a strong, you know, power five team that may, may likely find themselves, you know, in the Big Ten championship game and perhaps maybe even beyond. Who knows? But it's a totally different deal to get thrashed at home like that. I, I just got to believe that people have their eyes on this. Um, Mike Kelly, you know, the AD over there. I mean, everybody's got to be wondering if Charlie now – is truly the right guy for this program, and you know I know he didn't want to answer questions about his job security. Who does, right? But this, this is there is no evidence that this is going to turn around.
0: Yeah, I mean that was you know look if you live on Twitter, which a lot of us do, and when, when you're in the media and stuff, I mean there's a yeah. lot of people calling for his head now, not know, necessarily the people in charge, but just you yeah. know that this isn't working, and Mm-mm. you know the changes haven't worked, and you know this team. This team is not where you expect them to be. I mean, they're supposed to be competing with UCF and Cincinnati for the East Division of the AAC. You're wondering how many games they're going to win at this point.
1: Yeah, and I, I don't have the answer to that. I mean, it's it's not going to be many, I can tell you that. Now, they'll probably take out – will they get UConn this week?
0: This, yes, UConn, and, and the game time has been moved up. It was initially announced for a 7 o'clock start. It's been now moved, it's moved up to a noon because of uh, this uh, mosquito-borne – uh, disease up there that is causing yeah. issues and they're taking precautions and those mosquitoes tend to be out at dusk and dawn and overnight so they've moved the, moving a lot of stuff out of nighttime into daytime so it's going to be a noon start
1: now and in, in uh, up in connecticut yeah i'd be cool with that i hate mosquitoes and they always would bite me anyway but uh, they look they have to take care of business with yukon if if for any reason they lose there uh, i think I think Charlie, you know, probably gets fired on the plane home. I mean, I I don't see any reason. And, again, it's easy for me to ask and call for somebody's job. I'm not doing that. I'm just speculating that I could see it occurring if the team doesn't start to respond. But the question becomes, you know, well, who's your interim coach? What do you really benefit by getting rid of this guy? What about the recruits that he's, you know, either signed or wants to come play for Charlie? Like all that stuff has to go into the equation before you just say, "Hey, this isn't working," let's in midstream let's let's fire a coach. Um, the best case scenario is if you're going to make a change, you do it at the end of the year, um, you know, rather than right in the middle of the season. But um, it's getting dark and gloomy over there for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you know, midseason. There's only a, a couple reasons you fire a coach midseason. Is you know, if recruits are starting to bail and that because it's gotten mm-hmm. that bad, that's a possibility. If you if you think your next coach could be on your staff, then that's a reason sure. to make a change. So, if mm-hmm. you if if you're Mike Kelly and you don't think Charlie Strong's the guy, and this is all speculation, but if sure. you're if you're Mike Kelly and you don't think he's the right guy, is Kerwin Bell one of your candidates? If he's he not, raise. then there, mm-hmm. there's no reason to make a change right, right now because only bad things can happen at that point. If he's not Mm -hmm. one of your candidates, if you think he's a candidate and you want to kind of give him an interim shot, then there's a reason to make Mm -hmm. a change. But like I said, if you don't think Kerwin Bell's Bell's your next coach or even a candidate for it, there's no reason to make the change now. Unless there's outside factors from recruiting and other stuff. Or he's just completely lost the team. You know, those kind of cases, then sometimes you have to. But otherwise, you know, if you're going to move on from Charlie Strong, and we don't know if he is, but if you are... And you're gonna the search is going to be outside, not inside. Then there's no reason to make the change till the season's over.
1: No, I totally agree. And the same is true in the NFL, especially. You don't see many guys fired in midstream. You might see it this year with Jay Gruden. There's talk about him. I, you know, of course, Bruce Allen and the Grudens go way back to when John was here. But I don't think there's any love lost. If you noticed, you know, they finally made a change of quarterback, and that that didn't work out well for him during the game the other night. Um, so. You know, the other guy that I would worry about is a guy like Dan Quinn with the Atlanta Falcons who are totally underachieving there. And he, I believe, is in his last year of a contract, so he's sort of a lame duck coach to begin with. So there could be changes, but to your point, when you do that and you appoint somebody on the staff, what if they start winning? And somebody that would normally not be a candidate for your your next head coaching job, um, you know, you've got players clamoring for them, fans clamoring for them. They have the job, so people can already envision them in the job, doing the job. And that's how you end up with somebody who would normally never be a candidate, but because you fired the first guy, you had to pick somebody on your staff, and then he took the ball and ran with it, you know. So that's, that's the danger of it. If you don't intend on that guy and your staff being uh, your head coach, then, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you're better all left just to let him play out the string. Well, think
0: USC a few years ago when Ed Orgeron took over and
1: right. they
0: started winning and did well, and, and how much grief and you know, from the fan base they take when they didn't hire him to be the coach. And, that's and, right. You know that they didn't have any desire to ha- have him be the coach. And they were kind of cornered with Sarkeesian and some of the things he did. They kind of had to fire him. I mean, they, they mm-hmm. weren't there was some external factors. They weren't given a choice. They had to fire him. So Ed Orgeron had to take over. But it put right. them in a situation of the players wanted Orgeron. A lot of the fans did. And they chose to go a different direction. And, right. You know, so that just caught. you know, when you put an interim coach in, if you if you don't think he's a candidate for the job, don't do it unless you don't do
1: it that's yeah i I totally agree and i think most good organizations adhere to that we'll see you know i don't count the redskins as a good organization because i think their owner is toxic and i think their gm is terrible um but you know what do i know about football um but i i don't see that that lasting very long and i'm not sure they have anybody on the staff that's going to go in there and and uh you know and really help them out as far as the bucks go some news uh you know, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Ryan Smith uh, has a roster exemption. Remember, Ryan Smith was suspended four games for PEDs, a defensive back that's been here for a number of years. So what they can do is he can practice. He's back in the building. He can practice all week. And they have until Monday where this exemption runs out. They either have to uh, activate him, put him on the active roster, or essentially release him um, because he'll, he'll have to become part of the 53-man. So you ask yourself, okay, well, who who's not going to be part of the 53-man? I, I don't really know. A lot of that depends on injuries. Speaking of injuries, poor Jack Sishi, who this poor guy cannot, uh, you know, prevent missing some time. Of course, he's had back to back years his last year at Wisconsin, and then, of course, last year with the Bucks. uh, you know, torn ACLs. Um, he's come back from that. I didn't see the replay just yet, but apparently Sishi had a rather gruesome sort of, uh, distortion there of his arm or shoulder. Uh, and, uh, you know, it turns out and I'm surprised by this based on how everybody was describing it, that but that he's only gonna miss between two, I think, and four weeks. Or, That's that know, surprises surprising. That, that surprises me. Yeah. I thought it was gonna yeah. be much more. I think it's actually I think it's a minimum of four. My bad. I think it's a minimum of four weeks. But even then, that looked like, you know, from what it, people describing it, it looked like a season ending type injury. He's tweeted about it, thanking people for their you know, for their thoughts. He's a really good kid and, he, and he's a really good player. He just has had such bad luck, even, you know, coming out of Wisconsin and um, you know, coming back in nine, nine months from that ACL injury and, and jumping right into the preseason and being really one of their top special teams players and a guy that you're not afraid, afraid to play on defense, you know, as well. So um, that's the deal with Jack Sishi. I wanted to talk about, you know, there's some – finally some people are waking up nationally a little bit, and, and, of course, it starts locally with us as well, to what Jameis Winston has put together these last three weeks. And, of course, we saw, you know, after last week's collapse to the New York Giants up 18, um, they get the ball back with, you know, you know, just about a minute or so to go, and he hits the big shot play to Mike Evans, and, you know, then all calamity strikes uh, through no bad decisions of his own, I don't think. But, you know, they wind up uh, missing the game-winning field goal, and, okay, they lose. But he had an outstanding game, you know, interception notwithstanding. And, of course, he threw another interception on Sunday, which could have become very costly and did lead to points but winston you know in the last three games you know he has lit it up i mean the guy's thrown for nearly 1000 yards and he has got eight touchdowns and only two interceptions and in to my word you know should be should be 3 and 0 in those games i mean really he should be um you know not a spectacular game in carolina managed the game didn't turn the ball over 200 something yards but the last, you know, two weeks in a row, I think he's thrown for about 380, 385, somewhere in there, and you know, seven touchdowns in the last two weeks. So he is playing at a high level. And finally, some people, Nate Burleson on Good Morning Football and some others, have started to take notice that you know, Jameis is really, really playing well. I think, and he's done this in stretches, but I think it's the best I've seen him in three weeks um, for pretty much his entire career. I mean, he looks. He looks in command. He's making good throws. For the most part, he's making good decisions. There's always that little blip here and there. Um, but, I, but I really do think that maybe we're starting to see what the impact of Bruce Arians and the offense and, and just really the maturity of him at age 25 growing up in this league, having experienced all that stuff, has to be helping him now on the learning curve. And uh, so, you know, to me, Jameis Winston could win player of the week. Um, he's certainly capable of doing that. Of course, Sha- Shaq Barrett probably should win player of the week on defense again after what he's accomplished. So a lot of uh, interesting things going on about the Bucks And But Jameis you know, to- has done very well, but I'll, I'll give some kudos to
0: Todd Bowles on that. I and, agree. And look, yeah. Bruce Arians has said all along that, you know, Jameis is the guy. Jameis is the quarterback. If he's just not down 21 points and having to throw the ball over the field, it helps He'll yep. be much better. And and they've gotten mm-hmm. out, you know, it's not, I'm not taking away from Jameis and, and Byron Leftwich and the whole offense, what they've done, because they've gotten out mm-hmm. to quick, you know, they got out to such a quick lead in LA and that yep. really helped them. Um, yep. You're not, you're not chasing points. You're not coming from behind. Um, sure. You know, but that's what Bruce Arians has told us all off season, that if you're not down 21 points, you your decision-making is different. different. You're, your yeah. your you, how you're throwing the ball and what you're doing is different. You're not trying to force throws because you have to, and so right. he's playing a much better game when they're in games instead of tra- trailing from behind and trying to play catch up.
1: Absolutely, and they've you know they've been committed to the run game, and, and of course you know if you're if you're out of the game, you got to abandon that and throw it a lot. I thought that Sean McVay got very impatient um even though I understand it he's down 21 to nothing but I th- I think he could have run the ball more in some situations where he threw it 63 times or something like that. I mean it was an insane amount of times. Yeah, I but, think yeah, I think uh, game, Jared Goff had the
0: third most yards
1: um in a loss ever. Yeah, it was I know I think it was the most completions in an NFL game if I'm not mistaken. I mean the guy was just, you know, he was just on fire. So he can certainly play, but yeah, I but I still, you know, I, I think the running game has helped Jameis because it helps the play action, and when you can come out and run play action, you know. But he, get, when, he got a lot of good matchups yesterday that, that he took advantage of. I mean, they obviously were doubling Mike Evans. You know, Chris Godwin goes off when he gets single coverage, and he threw some nice balls with anticipation in there to, to Godwin. He had an enormous first half, and you know, finished really, really strong as well. And then, of course, we mentioned the shot play to, to Mike Evans, who was the one time he wasn't double-teamed. I thought there was like two snaps they may not have double team him. And then, you know, Byron left, which is yelling, you know, alert zero, alert zero, which is cover zero, meaning there is no, you know, there is no deep safety. It's just man-to-man across the board. And he made one inside move and then, you know, got behind the defensive back and a great throw by Jameis. Just a big-time play. So, you know, these guys, I mean, they're playing at a high level. And I, I think Winston might be playing his best football that I've seen him in years. I know he's put together good runs like this. But I really, I think there's a different set of, you know, sort of confidence about him. His coach has his back. Uh, he's in a good place. He's in a really good place mentally. And look, he's got a ton of weapons. You know, Chris Godwin's been great. Evans has been great. I think they can get more out of O.J. Howard. Brate had a touchdown. And Ronald Jones Jr. is the most, employed, most improved player in the NFL. You know, I mean, the guy's averaging the last two weeks 5.7 yards a carry. So, you know, look, I love Peyton Barber, but if I'm a Bucks fan or a coach, I want to see some more – I want to see me some more of Ronald Jones who's catching the ball, running the ball, running hard, running smart, staying in bounds late in the game to, to milk more clock. I mean, just, you know, he, he looks reborn. And so good for him and uh, and, and obviously good for the Bucks, But But watch Winston now. If he puts together another big game because they go – into New Orleans where if they beat the Saints, they will be atop the NFC South for the first time after, you know, going into the second quarter in in some time. And, uh, you know, that's going to be something to watch. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater's managed to win two games. That defense has really been the ones that have managed to win it. You know, the Saints won without a single touchdown. They kicked four field goals, and they beat the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Cowboys were stunned there. I think the noise affected them. I think the offensive line wasn't as good, and then therefore Zeke wasn't as good. So it was interesting to sort of see how that all played out. But man, a lot of a lot of road teams won yesterday. Of course the Saints were at home. Um, but the Bucks the Bucks are playing good football and, and now they gotta see if they can stack it. And that was the thing that Bruce Arians said to his team, um, in terms of, you know, what his what his philosophy is. You know, and, and basically, you know, it's just he wants them to stay aggressive, you know. He wants them to to not be You know, not be timid, not be afraid. Like, you know, keep pushing the envelope. You know, keep believing in yourself, and the game's going to come down to the last five minutes. If we don't make mistakes, we're going to win. And and that's sort of the mentality I think he's trying to impress upon these guys. And, look, if you can go into the L.A. Coliseum, and I know the the Rams have a short week and they play Thursday night football, but if you can go in there and put double nickel on those guys, I mean, 55 – You know franchise record uh, and and do it on the road when no one expects you to win, least of all me. I think it's just really a confidence builder. I don't I don't know why you would think again it's a week to week league, but I don't know why you wouldn't think that you can go into New Orleans without Drew Brees and if you score enough points, um, you know the Saints may struggle trying to stay with you. Well, as a team Uh, last year, you did it. You went into New Orleans and won. Bomb, you did. You outscored them. Great, you You had Fitz Magic, but. Yeah, but still, they you know they scored. I mean, they scored 48, tying a team mm-hmm. record at that time. Now it's 55. But I don't know that Bridgewater's capable the way Breeze was of putting up 40 points mm-hmm. or 35 points. I don't know that he is. Let's see. He hasn't done it yet. But again, it'll be a very very good game, and and certainly the Saints are playing well and the top of the division. But a lot at stake. All of a sudden, Tampa Bay. Uh, has something to play for, and that's first place in the NFC South. So if Jameis Winston can keep at this pace and keep the arrow going up and not have a fallback like we've seen in the past, he could put together one of his best years ever, and I think that's that's going to mean a lot to this franchise going forward. So we've got a lot coming up uh, this week. Obviously, the Rays and A's go Wednesday. Uh, at uh, That game's at 8 o'clock, I believe. nationally. Correct, 8.09. Mm-hmm. Another cool thing about the postseason. You know, so that's going to be fun to look forward to. Uh, the Bucks will be off today, but they're back at it preparing for their game against New Orleans. Uh, on Wednesday, we'll be out there. You can read all our coverage on TampaBay.com. The Tampa Bay Lightning, well, we're just days away from the opener. Yeah, Thursday night, the Panthers in
0: town, and then the Lightning go on a two-week road trip. Six games after that. It's kind of weird.
1: Right off the One bat. One game at yeah. home and then six on the road, so. Man, that seems odd to me. But uh, lots to talk about this week. Of course, we'll have Matt Baker later this week. We'll be talking to some folks about the Rays and the A's series coming up on Wednesday. So keep it right here. Every Monday through Friday, we are here on Sports Day Tampa Bay. For Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody.